Hi, this is David Sachs, and welcome to Spiritual Tools for an Outrageous World. Every week we do a little couples therapy between us and God. It's a chance to deepen and explore our most important relationship. Okay, I'm glad you're here. I was just having a conversation with a guest from out of town, and he was just telling me one of the podcasts that he listens to, and he he showed me the picture of the person who looks sort of vaguely familiar. And I sort of even recognize the, the, the person's last name. And he said, yeah, this, this person is absolutely amazing. And I just discovered him. And then I found out that he actually, you know, was alive and gave these talks during the 1970s. And I thought, oh, I thought I recognized him. He's Rabbi Rosenfeld, who is basically the, the founder of American Breslov Hasidus. In other words, he sort of like brought the Breslover movement over to America. You could, you could also give Reb Shlomo Karlbach credit for that in terms of the world revival of the teachings of Rebbe Nachman. But in terms of within Breslov itself, that was really Rabbi Rosenfeld. And he was just remarking that these teachings are as, as relevant like this moment as when he gave them over decades ago. And I thought to myself, Rabbi Rosenfeld started off in, in Brooklyn, and he was giving them over to very small circles of people. And now you have this, this international Breslov learning of Rebbe Nachman's books, and tens of thousands of people going to his, his gravesite in Uman for Rosh Hashanah, which is something that he made a promise to people. He said that if you go to my gravesite and you give tzedakah, and you say these 10 Psalms, I guarantee you that I will pull you out of Gehenna by the payas. I will pull you out of Gehenna by the payas. So that's a, that's, a, that's a pretty good promise. So anyway, I, I made it there. I made it there. It took me, took me a really long time to make it there, but I got there the, the year before the pandemic, and one of my sons has been there, and it's, it's really an, an, an amazing happening. But, but here's, here's really the point that I wanted to make, that, that Rabbi Rosenfeld started off just teaching a few people in Brooklyn these teachings from Rebbe Nachman, who's going back to the early 1800s. And what occurred to me is, if, if you had this, like, miracle cure... Like, I, I don't even know. Like, like, you could cure diabetes. You could cure cancer. You could cure whatever it is, the, the common headache. And you just started off small in your neighborhood. It's like, yes, that would catch on. Yes, that would catch on worldwide. How could it not? In other words, your product is the teachings of Rebbe Nachman of Breslau. Like, wherever you plant that, it's going to, you know, grow forests. Wherever you plant it, wherever in the world, whatever time, it's going to grow forests around you. In fact, the only question is, how did anyone forget about it or not have access to it to begin with? That, that's the question. So now, when you think about the Torah itself, I mean, if that's true for the teachings of Rebbe Nachman, how many more times is it true for the Torah itself? In other words, the Torah, it's a, there is no greater product than the Torah. And if you start with a circle of three people, 
it will grow to encompass the world. It just will, and it always has. Because it is the blueprint of reality. Life is ridiculously confusing. And the idea that there's a, that there's a path, that there's a way through, that there's a vision of coherence to the insanity of this world? Yes, 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 of course. Yes, yes, of course I want that. Then it's just a question of who's teaching it to you and how are you learning it and, and in, in what steps are you going by in, in, in terms of taking it on yourself? Because, you know, you can, you can have the answer but if you apply the answer in a, in a really crazy way, then, then, you know, yeah, it's the answer, but it doesn't really work so well. You know what I mean? Like if you have a, a pill that if you take this pill, you will be cured, and you try to wedge the pill into your eyeball, you know, it's like, it's okay. Does that mean that the pill doesn't work? No, the pill works. You're just not taking the pill properly. So the same goes with the Torah and the mitzvot and everything like that. There's a way when, like Rabbi Seidenfeld says, I always like to quote him on this, halacha, Jewish law, has the word holech in it, which means to walk. In other words, to walk and not to run. So you take it on a step at a time. And you talk to people who, who know something and who know you and who can design and personalize, or I like this word, it's, I think it's a very elegant word, who can curate for you a, a, a proper path, right? It's just which steps to take, at which time, at which speed, but the path is there for everyone because it's universal. And, you know, I can't ever mention this enough, which is that we're all God's children. And while it's true, the Jewish people have a special role in creation, that's true. Nonetheless, all people, everyone in the world, Jewish, non-Jewish, have a share in the Torah. Everyone has a share in the Torah. You know, you have the 613 commandments, but seven of those commandments, which have a lot of subdivisions, so it turns out to be more than seven, but it's seven, seven of the 613, are universal mitzvahs, and all of humanity has a share in the Torah through those, through those mitzvot. So in other words... The Torah is very much a worldwide team effort, and we're all God's children. Okay, so, so that's, that's one step. Now, I'm introducing a new campaign. Here's my new campaign. It's two words that, that I want everyone to keep in mind if you'd like to participate in this. And here are the two words. Therefore, what? Okay, I'll explain myself in a moment. But these are words that I, I think are very good for someone to say to themselves. Therefore, what? In other words, let me kind of flesh it out because this is, this, is a, this is the solution. I'm offering you a solution and a guide to a very big idea. But, but first, I have to kind of explain the idea. But let me give you a visual first. Can you imagine you live in an apartment tower that's thousands of stories tall? And you press the elevator button and you get to the 70th floor 
and you walk into your apartment and you look at this magnificent view from the 70th floor. Meanwhile, the apartment building is thousands of stories tall. And you've stopped and become extremely comfortable at the 70th floor. So, we're still talking about Shavuos, the receiving of the Torah, the giving of the Torah, which doesn't have a date attached to it. It's different from all the other holidays mentioned in the Torah. Every single holiday in the Torah has a calendar date attached to it, except Shavuos. For Shavuos, it says, count 50 days after you left Egypt, and then you observe this holiday. It doesn't nail it down to a month, and it doesn't nail it down to a day. Why? And the simple, direct answer is because the Torah never stops being given. Because the world never stops being created. And the world is made out of the Torah. Every single nanosecond, the world is being created and recreated. Right? That means that you're never stuck. Because the world that you felt stuck in doesn't exist anymore. You understand that? Like, that's why there's constant second chances. Because the world that you messed up in literally doesn't exist anymore. So the Torah doesn't have a date where it's being given because it's constantly being given. With that in mind, we never stop receiving the Torah. Now listen to this. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine, and he said that he's really focused on the idea that he doesn't want to just leave the holiday of receiving the Torah. Like, you know, we stayed up all night, we learned, we fabranged, we had a great time, we davened, we sang, we danced, there was transcendence, it was beautiful. Okay, now back to the world. He doesn't want that to happen. So he was discussing this issue with a friend of his. And his friend said, you know, when you, when you go to a wedding, how do you know who the bride is? And the answer is the one who's wearing white. Okay, that's a good answer. How do you know who the groom is? There's lots and lots of people wearing black. The groom is the one who goes home with the bride. In other words, the wedding is not just a single event. The, the wedding is an invitation, an entranceway to an ongoing relationship that doesn't stop. So Mount Sinai and the Jewish people around Mount Sinai is compared to like this cosmic wedding, right? God and the Jewish people, heaven and earth. Like just an amazing, an amazing, amazing event, right? But that, like a, like a wedding between two people, that's just the beginning of what comes next, right? So it's this ongoing idea, receiving the Torah, this ongoing event. So let's get back to this idea that, you know, for most people, if they live on the 70th floor of a building, that's pretty high up. You know, you, you probably have the penthouse suite if you're on the 70th floor. Magnificent view, right? Sure, it costs a pretty penny you know, to work very hard to get a 
an apartment like that. But what if the apartment building is thousands of stories tall? Like, what a disaster if you get comfortable on the 70th floor. That's a, that's a disaster. So therefore, therefore, I want to basically just sensitize all of us to something that I think happens on a regular basis, which is that we get lulled by life. And I want to take it even further. It's not just that we get lulled and that we fall asleep. But, you know, a friend of mine heard from his psychologist, and I really like this because I think it's really good advice. Healthy people celebrate. Healthy people celebrate. You know, if you accomplish something, whatever it is, you should take a moment, or perhaps more than a moment, to celebrate that victory. Okay. But the problem is, is that when celebration turns into paralysis, <laughs> or celebration turns into deep sleep, or celebration turns into the illusion that the work is over. So Rabbi Berylwein said it's easier to go from zero to 80% than it is to go from 80% to 100%. And after I shared that, someone came up to me and said, well, just think about like if you're a runner. If you're a runner, like there, there's a lot of people who can get to, you know, like for instance, this is like another idea, but you know, sort of loosely related to it, which was there was a period in human history, let's say, that no one could run faster than a four minute mile. And then Roger Bannister broke this barrier. And as soon as he broke the barrier of a four minute mile, everyone broke the barrier of the four minute mile. Like, I, I don't know what that means exactly. I know a lot of people have spent a lot of time like analyzing that and discussing that. Was it just a psychological thing? Was it something more time-space related? I don't, I don't know how far out to get with that piece of information, but no one disputes that information. No one could do it, and as soon as one person did it, more or less everyone did. When I was growing up, I, I used to really like to watch the Olympics, and I remember very clearly like watching the, the downhill skiing things and they'd have on the TV screen like the, the timer of how fast they were going. And it wasn't just seconds and tenths of seconds, it was seconds, tenths of seconds, hundreds of seconds, thousands of seconds. I mean, there were just so many zeros. And the difference between say, first place or second place or third place and 12th place or 20th place could be literally the fraction of a second. So if you want to think about this idea <clears throat> of going from zero to 80% and that it's easier to do that than to go from 80% to 100%, you start to get into this idea 
of how hard these incremental gains are. And of course, I'm talking about our personal relationship with God. I'm talking about with achieving our own personal best. Why? Because there's a very, very, very powerful disincentive to going further. And the way I best can explain it is through this Kutzka Rebbe Torah. So the Medrash says, and the Kutzka Rebbe is going to explain this Medrash in a second. The Medrash says that one who grows old is like an ape. So if you think about that, that's a, that's a very challenging phrase. It sounds like we're making fun of old people, which of course we aren't doing. Like, how can you call old people apes? Like, that's, that's not nice. That's not respectful. In fact, we have a mitzvah that if an older person walks into the room, you have to actually get up off of your chair. You have to stand before them, which is actually a, a very beautiful idea because even if they aren't, say, necessarily so learned, they have a lifetime's worth of experience, and experience is a very great teacher. So maybe they don't have book learning, but they have life learning. So a certain degree of respect is mandated by the Torah. Then you, you stand in front of the presence of an older person. Okay. So again, we're, we're kind of strengthening our question. So if that's the case, how can the Torah say that one who grows old is like an ape? For goodness sakes. So the Kutzka Rebbe points out that an ape the nature of an ape is to imitate. And this is an observation that people from many cultures for, you know, a couple of thousand years at least have noticed, right? Because it's already a medrash pointing this out. But what I find so fascinating and, and validating about this observation is the words to ape. If you look it up in an English dictionary, the words to ape means to imitate. Isn't that something? So even in this present day, we have this same observation. Okay, so again, let's revisit the teaching. One who grows old is like an ape. So now listen to what the Kutzka Rebbe does with this. The idea is that basically every single person, I told you that there's a powerful disincentive to change why? Because every single person, consciously or unconsciously at a certain point in their life, reaches this conclusion that, you know what, this is me. You know, more or less, I'm pretty much here. This is me. This is where I'm holding. And then... Again, consciously or unconsciously, after they reach that conclusion, you ready for this? They go through the rest of their lives as an imitation of themselves. They go through the rest of their lives imitating the person that they once were. It's, this, is, this is a devastating, devastating teaching. Devastating. Devastating. Are you an imitation of yourself? Ask yourself that question. The Kutzka Rebbe said, I'd rather be with someone 
who didn't daven today than to be with someone who only davened today because he davened yesterday. In other words, those things that you're doing, like, are you really doing them? Are you doing them because you're choosing to do them right now? Like it's alive? Your life is alive? Can you imagine you can drag your own life through life? <laughs> How do you not be fake? So you have to be real and you have to recognize your limitations and everything like that. So the thing is, is that as long as we're alive, there's more work to do. If we're still alive, that means that there's more that we need to accomplish. The fact that we woke up today is proof that God still wants more from us. A person shouldn't try to imitate someone else because God already has that person in the world. What does he need two of those people in the world? He already has that person. He already made that person. He made you to do your thing. But if you're alive, that means that there's still your thing to be done. So you continue on. You continue on. And sometimes the greatest battle is just to show up again. In other words, depending on the person and where you're at in your life, sometimes it's not about increasing. Sometimes it's about just managing to do what you've been doing. And that's the greatest victory. Because really what's going on inside of a person is I want to give the whole thing up. So they can continue to do it another day. That's like they're doing 100% more. Not that they're doing 0% more. They're doing 100% more because really they want to give up inside entirely. And then sometimes it even makes sense to do a little bit less in order to do a little bit more later. In other words, and this gets a little bit tricky, a person has to be very careful and honest with themselves when it comes to something like this. But sometimes we get a little bit overwhelmed and we can burn ourselves out. And so under the right circumstances, sometimes you decrease a little bit just so you can increase more later. And, and the example that they give is if you want to jump, Anyone who wants to jump, you know, first you bend your knees and you go a little bit closer to the ground. And then you have the leverage to go even higher. So it's going lower in order to go higher. The, de the descent is for the purpose of the ascent. Rabbi Nachman teaches this, right? So, so there are all sorts of ways to kind of fine-tune your engine. But one of the people that, during those sessions, when it comes to fine-tuning fine your engine, especially when it comes to doing a little bit less, like a very, very important-looking consultant walks in who's really the Yetzirah. <laughs> and he wants to participate in these conversations very much. And will show you all of his PhDs, right? And, and his CV and resume, all the, all the fancy places that he's worked and learned so that, uh, so that he has credibility. So it's good to talk to a friend or 
to someone who you trust, who's in a good place spiritually, to, to give you advice when it comes to something like that. But the main idea is where there's life, there's hope. Where there's life, there's hope. Reb Leibele Eger said a definition for depression. They think just because today was like yesterday, they convince themselves that tomorrow is going to be like today. Who says tomorrow is going to be like today? Who says tomorrow is going to be like today? We don't know that. When a person convinces themselves of that, then that's losing hope. I heard someone, he was a Rosh Kolel in Navardek, an old man with a gray beard. And I had a few moments of time sitting with him in a conversation. And he told me the following. He says, if you look in a stream, how do you know if a fish is alive? So, you know, you're standing by a stream, you see a, a fish. How do you know if it's alive? Well, you could say, well, if it's swimming, it's alive. But he said, no, that's not true because it may be going downstream just because the current is taking it downstream. In other words, that fish that you're looking at going downstream that looks like it's swimming is actually dead, but it's just being swept by the current. Now listen to this. He said, you know how you know if a fish is alive? If it's swimming against the tide. Because if it's swimming against the tide, that means that every inch that it's moving is through direct application of conscious life force. So we can get lulled. We can get lulled into sleep a variety of different ways. One, we just kind of check out. That's kind of the the model that I think most of us are familiar with, you know? But what I want to key in a little bit more is on aspects of checking out that are less discussed right now, which is the idea that you got it right, which is a luxury a person can't afford. This idea that I got it right That's the idea that the person who gets to the 70th floor to what in their own fantasy they've decided is the penthouse of this building with this magnificent view and is completely unaware that they're in an apartment building with thousands of floors. (laughs) What are you doing? And now I want to return back to my campaign and hopefully it'll make a little bit more sense right now that all of us should ask ourselves this question after, let's say, we learn something that's very, very satisfying. And I'm going to give you an example of this in a moment because I did this exercise with myself and I want to show you the, the results of kind of what I came up with in a moment. Let's say you learn something and it's sort of like, ah, it's so good. It resonated so much. 
So now, ask yourself, therefore what? Ask yourself, why did that teaching resonate with me so much? You accomplished something? Well, what did we just say? Healthy people celebrate. Celebrate. And then ask yourself the question, therefore what? So, I'm going to tell you, we just had Shavuos and Shabbos just came together. By the way, just in case you didn't know, when God gave us the Torah, he gave it to us on Shabbos. A lot of people don't know that. It was at dawn on Shabbos day. And that actually answers a time-space question for the Opter Rav, who is the dean of all the Hasidic Rebbes in his day. The Opter asked this question, which is, if the Torah is bigger than the entire universe, how could God fit the Torah into the world? Right? How do you fit an elephant into a shot glass? How do you do it? If the Torah is bigger than the world, how do you fit the Torah into the world? So he said that God gave it to us on Shabbos, which is a day without boundaries. Like Shabbos is like, is completely open space. One of the exhilarating, exalted things about Shabbos, that it doesn't have any boundaries to it. And therefore, God gave us the Torah, was able to fit the Torah into the world, which is bigger than the world, by giving it to us on Shabbos. So, so Shabbos and Shavuos came together this year. And I think... Maybe my favorite Devar Torah of all time is, I'm going to share it with you right now. Because every time I hear this Torah, it resonates so much with me that my brain shuts off. <laughs> I feel like when I hear this, I feel like, what more can be said? Like, there it is. And for the first time ever, I said to myself, and I'm talking about having said this Torah and just sort of like swooned over this teaching for over 20 years. I asked myself the question, therefore what? <laughs> Why is it so meaningful to me? And so I'm going to share with you the teaching and then I'm going to share with you the answer that, that I came up with. So, Reb Shlomo said in the name of the Ishbitzer, it's an Ishbitzer Torah, that we've got two words in Hebrew which sound very similar. One is Simcha, one is Oneg. Okay? So, so Simcha is related to the holidays because we say Simcha, right? That's like Shvuz, which we just had. And we have this other word, oneg. And that's connected to Shabbos. We say oneg Shabbos. And so Shavuos and Shabbos came on the same day. So it's, it's, it's a relevant teaching to be bringing up right now. So the question is, what is the difference between Simcha and oneg? And Reb Shlomo translated the word Simcha as joy. 
An oneg is bliss. Okay, so what's the difference between joy and bliss? So Rabbi Shlomo explained in the name of the Ishbitzer, Simcha is when God gives you something that you didn't have before. Oneg, bliss, is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. Oneg, bliss, is when God shows you what it is that you've had all along. So I asked myself, why, what, why is that teaching so powerful to me? And I thought, you know why? Because what does it mean to be shown something that you've had all along? That means that you, it's not just like you needed to get rescued and you got rescued in the moment. It's that you realize, not only are you rescued, but you realize that you were never in trouble the entire time. It's not just that you got saved from a calamity. You realize in the deepest way you were never in trouble to begin with. And what an awesome, awesome, awesome divine reassurance that is. Awesome. And that's connected to Shabbos. Shabbos has that power. So, and of course, Shabbos, the, the end of days, when Mashiach comes, one of the names the rabbis call that period in human history that we're destined to arrive at, one of the names that it has is Yom Shakulo Shabbos, that period of history is called the day that will be all Shabbos. And relating to that, and you can see I, I use this as a support for my, for my explanation of the Torah that I just gave you. I heard Reb Shlomo say that there's two types of healing. There's Shabbos healing and Mashiach Dik healing. Shabbos healing is when you get cured from whatever is bothering you. Mashiach healing is when you realize you were never sick to begin. It's another level. Another, another level. So we can't stop. We can't stop. Rabbi Nachman tells a story. Very interesting story. He says that one year it became known that the, that the harvest time was going to be especially difficult work and all the people working the land. And so, so the king, who is a, a wise king and a very kind king, had something in mind. To incentivize the people who he knew were going to have to work harder than they've ever worked, he decided instead of giving them their salary after the job was done, that he was going to give it to them before they started work so that they could feel really good and that they would be incentivized from this good feeling to do the work even better. And what happened, says Rabbi Nachman, is the people got their payment before they did the job and then they didn't do the job. So obviously Rabbi Nachman is talking about us in this world. So are we those people 
Am I that person? Are you that person who basically takes the check and then doesn't show up to the job? Is that me? Is that you? I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be that person who's looking out at the awesome, awesome, awesome view on the 70th floor, never realizing that there are thousands of floors above me. I don't want to be that person. So therefore what? Therefore what? So let me give you the classic model of Sefer Saomer leading up to Shavuos. The whole process of receiving the Torah, it starts off with barley. And barley is classically food for animals. Fifty days later, on the holiday of Shavuos, we present two loaves of bread. And during that period, we're working on ourselves and we're trying to elevate and refine our animal instincts so that we are mentioned, so that we're human beings. So that's a classic model. So with that in mind, we go from barley, which is animal food, to bread, which is consumed by humans. And on Shavuos, we read the story of Ruth. Now remember, we're reading this on the day of bread, on the day of Shavuos. It is filled with references to barley. Isn't that interesting? In other words, we finally got ourselves up from barley to the level of bread, and all we're reading about is barley. And I think that the answer is because God is saying, okay, you did it. You got to bread. Now keep going. Now take something else in your life that's incomplete, something else that's barley, and turn that into bread. Thanks for listening. We do this every week. So join in again next Sunday for a new podcast where we explore the amazingness of life. And review us and send in any comments or suggestions. I'd love to hear them.